0: Hi, this is Justin Hibber, you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. This is the second episode in our series on the sacrament of baptism. In the previous episode, episode 17, we talked about the Jewish roots of baptism. Today we're going to continue discussing baptism from the Catholic perspective, and for this episode we're going to examine a line from the Nicene Creed. In case you're not familiar with the Nicene Creed, it's a doctrinal statement that was written in 325 AD, and it's accepted by most of Christendom, including Catholic, Orthodox, and major Protestant churches. Towards the end of the creed, there's a line that says, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. That notion that there's one baptism and that it's for the forgiveness of our sins is our focus for today. Let's break down that statement into two parts, one baptism and baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Let's actually begin with the last part of that statement, baptism for the forgiveness of sins. In these ancient creeds, we confess that the purpose of baptism is for the remission or forgiveness of sins. Where does that idea come from? Well, it comes from the Bible. In Acts 2, we read about the story of the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. Peter then gets up and gives a sermon explaining who Jesus was, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Picking up in verse 37, it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls, end quote. There are other places in Scripture that also talk about baptism being linked to the remission of sin. For example, in Acts 22:16, 16, Ananias instructed Paul to, quote, get up, be baptized, and have your sins washed away, calling on his name, end quote. In Mark 1, the Gospel writer explains that, quote, John the Baptizer, or John the Baptist, appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, end quote. In John 3, which we looked at in the last episode, Jesus linked being born again with baptism. He told Nicodemus, quote, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, end quote. 1 Peter 3, 20-21, which we also looked at in the last episode, states, quote, God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christians for 2,000 years have understood that there is a link between baptism and the forgiveness of sins. Why? Because the Bible explicitly states it in quite a number of places. Like we talked about in the last episode, just as the Jewish people have to go into the mikvah in order to become clean, or just as they have to be circumcised in order to enter into the Old Covenant, so too must we go into the waters to have our sins washed away and enter into the New Covenant. God works through the waters to bring us from impurity to purity, from separation from him to life in him. We see this understanding expressed consistently throughout the early church fathers. For example, in 80 AD, Hermes wrote the following, quote, I have heard, sir, said I to the shepherd, from some teacher that there is no other repentance except that which took place when we went down into the water and obtained the remission of our former sins. He said to me, you have heard rightly, for so it is, End quote. In Justin Martyr's first apology written in 151 AD, he stated, quote, where there is water and are regenerated in the same manner in which we were ourselves regenerated. For in the name of God the Father and Lord of the universe and of our Savior Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit, they then receive the washing with water. For Christ also said, except you be born again, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven, End quote. In John 9, we read about Jesus healing a man born blind. Jesus mixed his saliva with dirt, he put that mud on the man's eyes, and then he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. In other words, Jesus told him to do the Jewish ritual of a mikvah. When the Pharisees asked the man how it was that he had gained his sight, he explained, quote, he, referring to Jesus, put mud on my eyes, then I washed and now I see, end quote. Listen to this exchange between the man and Jesus a little later in the story. When Jesus found the man he healed, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment, so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind, End quote. Notice a few details in that story. First, a couple of chapters earlier in John 7, when Jesus was attending the Jewish festival of Sukkot, Jesus made a connection between the water that the priests were drawing from the Pool of Siloam for a water libation ceremony, to the living waters that would pour forth out of those that followed him. Secondly, the man's eyesight wasn't restored when Jesus touched his eyes and put mud on his eyes. He gained his eyesight after he washed in the pool of Siloam. Thirdly, after that Jewish ritual of a mikveh, after his eyesight was restored, what was he able to do? When Jesus revealed himself to the man, he worshipped Jesus. Tertullian in 210 A.D. said, Happy is our sacrament of water in that by washing away the sins of our early blindness, we are set free and admitted into eternal life. Jesus used those waters in the pool of Siloam to open the physical and the spiritual eyes of the blind man. I think the story of the healing of the man born blind serves as a great illustration for baptism and the process of salvation. It is Jesus that initiates that healing process. He touches us. He moves us towards him. Baptism is the very beginning, just like it was for the man born blind. It's after the sacrament of baptism that we can begin to recognize more fully who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And recognizing Jesus in a more fuller sense is a process that doesn't ever end, but it begins with baptism. Think about how absolutely marvelous and beautiful this is that God uses nature to mysteriously transfer his grace to us. He doesn't require us to bring him gold or to sacrifice a bull. He uses the simplicity of water for baptism and bread and wine in the Eucharist, oil and anointing the sick. And in these simple elements, the portal between heaven and earth is opened and we are touched mysteriously by a holy God. The story of passing through the Red Sea in order to become free or the story of passing through the Jordan River to a promised inheritance continues in us with the waters of baptism. We mystically enter into that single story, the story of freedom and of a promised land. Now I want to switch gears and talk about the other part of the statement found in the Nicene Creed which says, one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Let's focus on those first two words, one baptism. Here's a question for you. In the Jewish practice of mikvah, one is constantly washing every time they have some sort of skin ailment or bodily discharge so that they can go from impure to pure. Wouldn't it make sense that we should also be baptized every time after we sin? To answer that question, I would once again appeal to the idea that while Christian practices have their roots in Judaism, Christianity is not the same as Judaism. The Jewish law was a shadow of what was to come, and so just as Jesus' sacrifice once for all does away with the need for regular animal sacrifices, so our baptism is a one-time event as well. In baptism, we identify with Jesus' death and burial as we go into the waters, and his resurrection as we come up out of the waters. Just as Jesus died and rose from the dead once, so our baptism is a one-time event as well. In the back of Catholic churches, there is usually a basin of holy water. As you enter or leave, it's customary to dip your finger in the water and make the sign of the cross. In some cases, a priest will sprinkle the congregation with holy water during Mass. Why? Because this is a physical way of remembering our baptism. We don't get rebaptized because baptism is a one-time event. But the use of water in liturgy is meant for us to call to mind that baptism, which unites us in the Lord. As Paul expressed in Ephesians 4, 4-6, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. End quote. From the Catholic perspective, baptism is cooperating with the triune God. Like the Eucharist, it's really God doing all the work and coming forward to receive the Eucharist or stepping into the waters of baptism. We're saying yes to God, but it is God that is doing all the work through bread, through wine, through water. When it comes to baptism, God is in some way mysteriously washing away our original sin. Therefore, the Catholic Church recognizes pretty much all baptisms done in the name of the triune God. It doesn't matter if you were baptized as an infant or as an adult, if you were sprinkled with water or fully immersed. It doesn't matter if it was done in a church or in the ocean. The way the Catholic Church sees it is that it's not the method or the place where one was baptized that matters, but the fact that it was done by calling on the triune God, done in his authority. Why? Because in baptism, God is doing all the work. God is leaving an indelible or permanent mark on one's soul. Therefore, it's impossible to be rebaptized, just like it's impossible to get circumcised a second time. You know, I often talk about my shift to Catholicism as a conversion, however, technically, this is not correct. Technically, as the Catholic Church sees it, the moment I was baptized, I entered into the Christian community, even though it wasn't the Catholic community. Like the blind man, even though I was a baptized Christian, there were still a lot of gaps in my understanding of Jesus. My decision to become Catholic came from seeing how the Catholic faith gives us a fuller picture of Christ. But it's not like I've arrived. None of us have. Baptism is the beginning of a never-ending process of discovering and falling in love with an eternal God. Let me offer a sincere thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode and other pertinent information in your email inbox. Go to yCatholic.substack.com slash subscribe to get started. I have one favor to ask. If you like this podcast, would you take a minute and give it a five-star review and maybe even say some nice words about it as well? I would greatly appreciate it. And I greatly appreciate you for tuning in to another episode. My name is Justin Hibbard. And this is Why Catholic.